Good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Today, we have a hodgepodge of issues, uh, things that are on our mind, been thinking about, but not necessarily sure we wanted to dedicate an entire podcast to it. And so today we'll be talking about some leadership issues, um, the difference between volunteerism and being a church member, forgiveness and living in a reconciled community, uh, some consistency in parenting, and maybe a couple other issues that come up, and also just an update on a discussion that we mentioned we'd have in the last podcast, and maybe where we're at on that. So, with that, we begin. Live from a studio in front of a no studio audience. <laughs> Just a little button. A fake studio. A audience. fake studio yeah. audience. Yeah. They're the best. Yeah. They are the best. They <laughs> always cheer our dad jokes on. Um, you know, it makes me feel like a nineteen eighties sitcom with the ability to be like Yes. Yep. We need those laughs for the, the jokes in there. Yeah. No one else is gonna do it for us. I know. I you know, I was watching um I don't remember which one I was watching. I was watching a, a sitcom from like the nineties and um, they would, uh, they would have the audience laugh at different moments mm -hmm. and it dawned on me that that was like the sitcom's way of telling you that was meant to be funny. <laughs> it does help. It does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause there's even if it wasn't funny, you yeah. were like, Oh, they were just, when someone starts cracking up next to you. There's something about that, that all, all of a sudden makes the, like, that's why comedians love live audiences. Cause it oh, yeah. creates that yeah. atmosphere. You know, so. Well, and sometimes like you just see a guy and he comes on stage and you'll hear people just instantly laugh. Yeah. And it's like, because the, the guy's funny mm -hmm. or they've laughed so much that they're just anticipating laughing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Theology of laughing. That's Theology. what we're talking about yes, right now. exactly. All right. So uh, at the end of last podcast, um, we mentioned that we would talk about sex, but we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, we, I know no <laughs> birds and bees conversation today. Uh, but I do just quickly want to mention why we would talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Cause you know, that the, the goal here, it's not a common thing talked about in ministry, hmm. right? Like rarely in a sermon point, like when you're preaching, like I, I don't think I've ever been like, Hey, let's apply this to sexual intimacy today. Mm -hmm. You know, that's Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, um, how does this apply to the bedroom? Like right. that, that just never application point bedroom application point. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of awkward for a pulpit. It, it is a little it awkward. Be. Yeah. Uh, but on the flip side, we just read through first Corinthians seven mm -hmm. that slam dunk talks about it. Yep. So it's like, I mean, you got kids in the audience. Yep. They're reading with us and they're probably, uh, yeah. Put a little highlight this section. Ask my dad and mom later. Yeah. What this means. Hey mom. <laughs> hey dad. You know? And uh, so there is this part of me. It's like, it doesn't get talked about, mm -hmm. um, but there's also this question in the back of my head, like, why? Like, are we scared to talk about it? Mm -hmm. Are we, is it like, 
you know, is it like an off limits area to the church? And yeah. I, I'm not sure it should be. Yeah. Probably you know? an overreaction. Um, I wonder. Yeah. yeah. I mean, history does weird things. Um, yes. And so, you know, when I, I think because society is just so pornographic now, it's almost like the overreaction is like, don't talk about it. Yeah. So. Well, it's interesting. I'm reading that biography um, by Manchester on Churchill. And he actually spent like 15 pages or so talking about um, kind of the culture of sex in the Victorian era leading mm-hmm. up to Churchill's time. And he, you know, he, by the time you're done reading that section, you're like, one, there's nothing new in the sun. Two, there's, it's not like in the Victorian era, uh, sex was very, and adultery was very alive and well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're like, okay, nothing new under the sun. It just wasn't talked about publicly. So there was kind of this like veneer of good ethics with like everyone kind of winking about the bad ethics. Mm-hmm. And so you realize like, like Churchill's mom is as promiscuous as it gets and she's married the whole time. And it's, I mean, she's an adulterer right? who needs Christ. And because Churchill is away at school, he doesn't see it, you know, but Manchester brings it up all the time because, um, as Churchill's writing his mom behind the scenes is his mom's escapades with these different men. And some of them are like in very high positions in different, even in different countries in Europe. And so it's, it's an interesting, right? Because it just makes you realize as a pastor, there's nothing to it said, uh, in Jonathan Edwards biography, uh, Marsden points out that, Edwards himself was dealing with it. He was having to go to different people in his church and be like, no, your kids are not just sleeping up in the room. You need to like realize that that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And he even brought up that Edwards had to um, marry quite a few couples who four to five months later had had a baby. Interesting. So the math. Interesting you know, how the timing there. Maybe yes. it was premature birth, maybe. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, it's like this whole idea that maybe there was a golden year of ethics. I would argue that there's probably never been a golden era of ethics, not until the new heavens and the new earth. Right. No, I agree with you. I think it's the way people thought about it and, and, and talked about it or spoke about it. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, I, I read somewhere where the Catholic Church actually influenced, like, American thinking, uh, maybe Puritans too. Yeah. Um, uh, because I, I know with Catholic doctrine, like, I, I could be wrong. I could be misrepresenting this, but it, it seemed from what I've read or from what I've heard is that they view sex um, not as a, or at least this is what unbelievers have viewed, you know, Catholic doctrine to be. Like, they viewed sex as an act to produce a child yeah. solely. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that, do you, have you read that in kind well, of I think history? So. Yeah, okay. because in some of the things I've read, you know, you, you do have a string of books that have come out in the last 25 years mm-hmm. talking about how sex is more than just for procreation. Right. Yeah. So I think even um, some kind of guys that were big in the, uh, the, the conference circuit, one of them wrote a book on uh, something, you know, I, I'll, I'll get it figured out before that. But, you know, the interesting part is, so we're going to talk about it not to be edgy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's, I mean, you know, it's an issue between couples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've learned that it's not, that there's a lot of stereotypes, you know, that 
that, oh, the man wants it more than the woman. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that, that is possibly true sometimes, but it's also, there's other marriages, but that's not true. Right. You know? And so, yeah. Um, so we'll talk about it a little bit and I'll just, I'll give away the answers now so that you're not like, man, I got to wait till this podcast comes out to hear something. Uh, the key to the issue is asking the question, what role does humility play in a husband and wife's sexual relationship? Hmm. And so you got to learn to apply humility, serving and loving the other person. Right. And once you, once you start to ask those questions about the issue, I think you end up in the right place. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. With that said, let's move on to some of our other hodgepodge issues. Um, well, that we was lose, interesting. A little, little we lose power? Okay, we're no, we didn't. Yeah. Okay. Well, we lost power the other night. So all sorts of weird things have happened in this part of town here. Oh, a little flickery flicker again. Um, we'll I'm, see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see what happens. So who knows what's going to happen here? The Lord does not like this podcast. Yeah, I know. He's like, no, go, go back to your discussion. All right. Adjusting. Yeah. Ooh. I don't think that helped. No. Oh, you know what? Those lights aren't connected to this tree. As long as we don't lose power on this thing. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, you are with us live for the potential power outage. All right. So, we're going to talk about... Um, so, issue one out of the way for now. Uh, issue two, uh, just kind of thinking through different things and didn't necessarily want to devote an entire podcast to anything here, but um, just thinking through different issues. Um, there's definitely a, a theme running through all of these issues. Um, there's probably a couple themes running through all these issues and maybe as we talk, that'll come out. But um, so the first one is uh, I've been thinking a lot, continue thinking a lot about leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, you know, sometimes it's like you you know leadership when you see it, uh, but then you know, and you talk about leadership. Um, we have spent probably two years now just trying to define it better, understand it better, think through it better. Uh, the goal being one always to be a better leader, and by better I mean like godly, mm-hmm. so that we can look down and be like, hey, that's what Scripture says. Um, so recently, kind of came to an observation. Because sometimes I feel like in the leadership discussions, people speak past each other. Hmm. And it's where I think they're speaking past each other is that somebody will use leadership as a noun, like a proper noun, like a title. Right. Okay. But then other people are using leadership as a verb. Hmm. And, and I think there's a distinction there that needs to be met. And, and anytime you're having a conversation, somebody always say, well, somebody should be clear in their conversation. It's like, that's always true. Somebody can always be clear, but it's also our job to allow other people to speak and to understand what they're trying to say rather than be upset with them that they didn't say it the way that I want them to say it. Mm-hmm. You know, so where, where this comes to play is, you know, the, the elephant in the room, a lot of times you're talking about leadership in the church is women in leadership. Mm. So if you're talking leadership as a noun, well, that can be offensive to some to where they'll even say, well, look, that's not, the Bible doesn't allow women to be in leadership. 
mm-hmm. in that way. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's fair. Because again, as a noun, you're thinking pastor, elder, elder, um, teacher, elder, you're thinking something, something with the title of, of a granted authority from scripture, you know, Hebrews 13, seven, uh, different passages that talk about, uh, the elders and the overseers and, and first Peter five and shepherd in the flock of God among you, uh, not, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, uh, with humility, with the desire to serve, you know, this responsibility of overseeing the church. Uh, we just talked about this at an elders update, making sure we understand that, that the elders are here to equip people uh, to, to oversee any kind of church discipline and to basically make some, some decisions for the church. Mm-hmm. You know, that just pragmatically, you need somebody to make those decisions, and God seems to assign the elders with those. So that's the noun part. Yeah. The verb yeah. part is the reality that, well, who, right, can can leadership happen without a title? And the answer is the yes. Because, again, if you look at Titus 2, you, you now have this older men bring up younger men. Mm-hmm. Older women bring up younger women. And so, obviously, it's talking about discipleship. And so if you were kind of doing one of those Venn diagrams, you know, with the circles and you kind of like write the thing where you're like, right, like, you know, one in the middle of one circle is ministry and the other circle is leadership and in the other circle is discipleship. Mm-hmm. Like those three circles actually need to overlap each other way more than they don't. That's fair. If we're talking about it as a verb. Right. Okay. And the reason being is because leadership is serving other people. Yes. To help equip them as worshipers of the Lord to honor God in their duties and responsibilities. That's fair, yeah. Okay. But that's also the definition of ministry, Mm -hmm. which is also the definition of making disciples. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? Like, they all go together. There's different circles of um, of people that you're leading. Yes. Like, it's, um, you know, talking about a family, which includes parents and kids oftentimes. Yep. Um, I mean, even if you're single, you're, you're, you're trying to lead friends and acquaintances and coworkers and, yeah. um, but there, there, it seems to, yeah, I, I think that's why it gets confusing too. Yes. Because wrapped in the idea of leadership, there's administration, there's authority, there's certain duties that come along with that. Um, and so, right. It, it, it I think in this discussion, you're trying to blow it up a little bit and, mm-hmm zoom out and maybe see why there is some confusion and some unnecessary headbutting, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, when you, so if you think of, again, when you think of leadership, in my mind, that's synonymous with being a servant. Yep. Okay. So are we going to say to to a mom, you're not to lead your kids to Christ Mm. because that's leadership Mm -hmm. and that's the husband's role. And the answer is no, we're not going to say that because it's every believer's job to share the gospel with unbelievers. And a lot of that starts in our home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, right. I mean, at that point, it's just, to me, it's a little bit of semantics at that point, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Maybe we can avoid using the word leadership there, but on the flip side, that's what they're doing. Yeah. And it's because we, you know, we've been talking about servanthood a lot and we've been, it's hard not to connect it with the idea of leadership. Yeah. Because leadership ultimately is, we're trying to show that Christ is worthy of our praise and worship yes. and our thanksgiving. 
And we're trying to do that in a way that where people can grow their own convictions about it. We're not making people worship Christ. We're showing people that he is treasure, right? And we're, we're, we're trying to, that, that's why the preaching of God's word is important because the spirit draws people to know and love Christ. Yeah. Um, so like in this conversation, we, you know, as elders, we're doing that from the pulpit in, in our, uh, our kind of authoritative, um, positions but parents do that mm-hmm. so i i could see the confusion yeah and friends do that friends do that absolutely yeah and and the wife serving her kids christ is not usurping the leadership title given to a husband absolutely yeah. right so there's where the verb and the noun come in mm-hmm. even a husband's leadership in the home is described clearly by scripture of what that role is mm-hmm. you know but at no point is the verb solely ascribed to him Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's where, you know, I think that's where a lot of confusion starts to come in. Verb and noun. Are we talking role or are we talking, you know, actions of a believer? Right. Yeah. And and that's where now you can start to see where problems happen. And this, this goes in probably to a little bit of one of the other points we wanted to bring up, which was volunteerism versus the church. Mm. So, um, yeah, just kind of wanted to bring that up. I didn't think, I don't think we wanted to spend a whole podcast on that issue though. Okay. Just to me, that's a clarifying point, you know, that lording it over people. Um, that's why, by the way, that's also why somebody can have a leadership title and not be a leader within the organization. Okay. You, example. So like, I mean, I've been a part of many organizations where Mr. Manager walks in and he's the authority or she Mm-hmm. but bears no influence at all in the organization. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, yeah. but there's, there's a floor man or somebody in the, in the, um, in the business mm-hmm. that understands the differences and yet uses his or her influence to basically lead people to work harder. Yeah. So you're talking, it's kind of like the, there's a figurehead yes. of authority yes. and then there's a guy that actually runs the floor. Yes. The yeah. Yeah. And I think Lewis's inner ring talks about that because he, he quotes, um, I can't remember what fiction work he quotes, but you know, the guy comes in to the military unit and there's a Lieutenant there. Mm -hmm. And at first he thinks he wants to be with the Lieutenant, but then he quickly discovers that it's really the staff Sergeant or the Sergeant that bears the influence in the unit. And so instead of wanting to be closer to Lieutenant, he wants to be closer to the staff Sergeant because that's where he views the inner ring is. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that was a good observation by Lewis, right? Because in, in talking about the, the evils of the inner ring, um, which, by the way, if you've never read that article, you should read it. Phenomenal article. You should probably read it three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I read that, like, once a year. Maybe yep. twice. Love it. Anyway, so uh, at the men's this last Wednesday, uh, Ramil and... Uh, the Wednesday morning group talked about volunteerism versus the church uh, versus church membership. And they talked about that um, from Curtis Thomas's book, life in the body of Christ, which is also a top 10 book for me. A very, very helpful book. Um, I love the subtitle of that book duties and responsibilities to the local church. And I think even the subtitle itself just to me is worth its weight in gold. If you just take that subtitle and start to say, Oh, wait a minute. I have a responsibility at local church. Like to me, that's, that's the starting point of understanding that, that my relationship with Christ though individual is also communal. And and I think a lot, 
honestly, I think 90% of problems exist because that balance is thrown out. Cults are all about community, less about individual. But um, some cults, maybe less formal cults, are about individual. I might even argue secularism is the is the advancement of the individual over the community. Mm. And so right now what we're seeing in cultural secularism is the individual over the community, even though the community there's is a, now, There's a community that supports it. Yes, <laughs> the and supports the there's now a shunning. Yeah. There, mm. there, so the you, the worst thing that can happen to you is, is, in it is, a, is as an individual to be shunned or ghosted by the community mm-hmm. because, you know, you are... Yeah, anyway, so without going too far. So um, anyway, we were not there for the Wednesday morning discussion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what I want to say before we say anything is um, I don't want, I don't remember all of the particulars of Curtis Thomas's book on that issue. So we're just talking about this without running anything right now that we're thinking by Ramil. Mm-hmm. So we're not trying to cross Ramil. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not trying to undermine anything that's said. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, it was like, oh, this is a good point that I want to bring up. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, and the reason I want to bring it up is because I think if we think of the church as, as a volunteer organization, we, we, um, potentially don't, uh, we potentially do not give the commitment to the local church that God intends for us to give. Mm -hmm. So when I think of volunteerism, I think of, you know, you're, you're maybe involved in the organization, you sign up, you go, you pull, pour in your hours and you go home and you leave. And having been a part of other volunteer-based organizations, you would see that, where the masses would come for one or two events a year, would serve, would help out, right? Always, always helpful. No, never, not, no way derogatory towards, towards their involvement. But the volunteer leaders in those organizations, they were the ones that saw it as a little bit more than volunteerism. They, they actually were the ones that were like, Hey, it's cool that we volunteer, but we want to do more. And so they would, they would then, between those events, sh- they would try to get involved with leadership and get to know leadership, and and always be willing to sign up for the, the off-duty things. Mm-hmm. You know, so pretend like you're running a marathon. You, you got a marathon for charity, and it's in August, right? And you need six thousand volunteers to run that. Well, six thousand show up for that event. Well, you you don't just you got to put that event on all year long. And if it's volunteer led, those, those volunteers are showing up in the off hours, the ones that really care. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the danger of viewing the church as a volunteer organization is I think you don't take ownership like you should. Mm. What's in the mentality that does that? I don't know. It's, uh, you know, the funny part is I've run into it before um, and the most strong case where I ran into it, uh, later, um, she basically, it basically like came out that she's actually not even a believer. Okay. So it was definitely so, but I'm, I'm cautious to say that because I'm not saying to view the church as a volunteer organization is evidence of unbelief. Gotcha. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not so if somebody's listening is like, Oh, I've always viewed the church as something you volunteer for. I'm not saying you're an it unbeliever. It is because it is that like, uh, it is some it, unbelief. I don't know what I'm saying. Like it, it is a organization made up of a bunch of uh, volunteers, like on paper, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's how it functions. Yeah. Right. Cause there's only a couple, there's only a few paid staff. Everyone else is kind of giving a giving time and 
Yeah. yeah. But it's more than that, right? Yeah, because you are called into the church. And Ephesians 4 makes that clear. You are gifted to be a part of a local church. So you're gifted to be involved in the local church. And you're actually one of the reasons why Christ died was for us to be in the local church. Mm -hmm. And so therefore there's actually an ownership that I need to adopt towards the church. Right. Whereas volunteerism is just more the idea of you show up for your, for your time slot and you go home. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting because in, when I did the last members meeting, one of the responsibilities I put there uh, was this idea of help. And, um, that's the response. It's one of the responsibilities of a member. And that kind of falls under the category of like, Hey, there's going to be jobs that are available that at, during, during the year where we're going to need your help. That's the volunteer aspect of being a member. So yeah. there is a volunteer aspect, but there's so much more. Yeah. Like, um, I told, I told one person, look, look, I, you have a bunch of gifts and talents, but honestly, the, the, the thing that really God has gifted you for is, is to come and love your brothers in Christ and just be there for them in, in a way that that points them to 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 Jesus Christ as their satisfaction. Yeah, you can't do more than that. Yeah. Um, now there's other jobs, you know, throughout, um, you know, the year uh, during service where we just need lots of help. That's just that's just an aspect of being a member. Hey, we need your help here, and we need someone to do this. Who's available, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's not like it's not top down where it's like the elders. Uh, it's just it's just one vision. And it's the elders' vision, and you're, they're serving our vision. It's more like it's the it's the vision of Christ to make disciples, and there's certain jobs that need to be done in order in order to facilitate that 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 vision. But we're all part of it together, doing it together, yes, contributing help. Yes, does that make sense? Yeah, because I, I think the American mindset is. This this plays into the noun a little bit of leadership, that um, in order to have a ministry, I need to have a job title with responsibilities of what to do. And that's a little bit of volunteerism. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people fail to realize you do have a job title. It's called saint. Mm-hmm. And those duties and responsibilities are even most easily seen by just doing a search of the one another's. Right. Okay. So now... Like that's where you start to realize, oh, this is actually this is an or this is not a an organization. It's an organism, and I'm a part of a family, and I'm a part of a relationship with duties and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know the reality is, um, right? Some people can give are are gifted to give more and do more. Mm-hmm. Others are are not able to do that. But nobody's looking down and saying, hey, what's the what's the quantity of your work? Right. To me, it's about the quality of the work. Right. So, you know, if the best that the best that there is is you've got three close friends in the church that you keep tabs on, that's ministry. That's not volunteerism. You know, that that's ministry where you are you're praying for your church family. You know, you go to a Bible study, you rub shoulder with the same people at the Bible study. And at that point, right, you um Right, you have these responsibilities, these people as people, mm-hmm. to adopt their problems, to adopt their issues, uh, and sometimes God puts into your lap an issue that you really don't want to deal with, but because He revealed it to you, there's this party going, "Okay, Lord, maybe You've put this in my lap on purpose." Right. Yeah, that's a little different than volunteerism. 
I, yeah, I agreed. Agreed. Um, that's to me, that's even more val- valuable than voluntary tourism because then um, they're actually doing ministry and that's what we're actually equipping them to do versus maybe another model where it's like, okay, um, you just have the name Christian and then, you know, you come and you put this production together. Yeah. We're actually telling them to be disciple makers. And part of that is being there. Part of that is learning, engaging, um, right? Promoting reconciliation, peacemaking, um, yeah, all those things. Learning how to lead and yes. serve others. Yep. Yeah, and that's, you know, um, I'm not trying to slam the, this. I'm not trying to slam what I'm about to say. I'm not trying to be insulty or critical of this. Of, of, but an example is given to me by by an individual who used to work for a parachurch ministry, and one or two of the big churches would come down once a year for this big outreach thing. And their volunteers would show up in the droves, help with this big event, and then they're gone the rest of the year. To me, that's more volunteerism. Yeah, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying it's wrong that the church went down and volunteered in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just saying there's more, right? I, I think as we're trying to say, there's more to the church than just do I have a title that gives me a specific responsibility, and do I have a time slot to do it? Mm-hmm. And you know, volunteerism to me is a little bit more in that that way. I, yeah, that's a that there is a problem there because I think when someone has been at church at a church for a while and they don't have a title or a job, they feel like they're not doing anything. Yeah, and they feel like, gosh, maybe I, there's not a place for me here. Right. What do you say to a person like that? Well, I say that um, I always ask when somebody says, you know, like I've I wanted to do something, but but the church doesn't let me do it. I've always I've always just come back and been like, who have we not let you be friends with? Mm. Like, yeah. Tell me, who who have we not let you be friends with? Yeah. Yeah. You know. That's a good point. Yeah. Because I, I really do think it's, it's uh, honestly, the best way to think of your church relationships is God calls you into church to make friends with those people. Mm-hmm. And you have to look up and say, okay, God, what's the common denominator I have with these people? And the answer is Jesus Christ, and we're all saved by grace alone. Mm-hmm. Like, we all confess our sin. We want to forsake our sin. We entrust our soul to Christ, and because we do that, we also want to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. That's your common denominator. Now build your relationship off that. Yeah. You know. Now the reality is that sometimes when you're around the church, that that people want to talk about things in the middle of the week, and to me that's fine. Like you want mm-hmm. to talk about your sports team, then we'll talk about your sports team. Right. You know. Um, yeah, it's okay. That could be frustrating for some people who want to have spiritual conversations like a hundred percent of the time. It is frustrating for those people. Yeah. Yeah. But those people don't. A lot of those people don't realize the value of those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, th- there is, there is something about being a normal human being with interest and hobbies that, um, allow you to do more ministry in, in a very real way. Yeah. Um, in, in a way that like, you know, actually you can actually touch the heart of a person yeah. versus just trying to mold them from the outside in. Yep. So, yeah, Maybe. if I, if you can if I can talk to you about little things, um, what what people don't realize a lot of times those little discussions build trust, mm-hmm. and then when when stuff happens, you're the person they think of, yeah, and they come to you. I think it's an act of love too. Agreed, because you're showing interest in the little things that people care about. Yeah, it's like um, it's 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 called investment. Yeah, an engagement. Yep. 
Um, and it took, those are, I, but I will say, cause I, I think I, I fall into that trap too, where it's like, um, you know, it, it seems petty and unspiritual, but you're actually investing for the, a long-term relationship to do ministry with somebody. Yep. Yeah. You're, yeah. Do not look out for your own personal interest. Yep. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you were a Cubs fan back when the Cubs won the World Series, how do you not show up to church that week super excited about that? <laughs> I mean, it's been, a, what, 108 years since their World Series? Mm-hmm. You know, people born and died and didn't see that team win a World Series, and you <laughs> got to see it. Like, I'd kind of be shocked if I knew you were a big Cubs fan and you showed up and pretend like it was a ho-hum week. I'd be like, no, it was an exciting week for you. Yeah. That's okay. Talk about it. Like, it's, you know, it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Everybody has, is passionate about something. Yeah. I think this is some, one thing Ramil pointed out before. He's like, I, I love it when I, I love learning about people's passions. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, it is. Peer into that mind and see how the Lord made them. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Good. So that kind of leads us into another discussion. Um, so we talked, we talked a little bit about where we're going with sex. We talked about leadership as a noun versus a verb, volunteerism uh, versus the church. Uh, now, now we, we started in the men's group on Tuesdays talking about forgiveness and the women will be picking up this topic in January when we pick back up that study. Um, and there's a great chapter in, in the Lane uh, and Tripp book on relationships on forgiveness. Uh, very, very brief. Um, there's a lot of good books out there on the issue. Uh, scripture says a lot about forgiveness. Um, and when we think about salvation, what we're talking about is being forgiven by God for our sins. So it's obviously at the core of the issue. And so I've just been thinking a lot about forgiveness and living in a reconciled community. And it's interesting to me because I've posted some of these thoughts on Facebook. Uh, the amount of private DMs I've had has been, I wasn't shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't shocked to hear some things, not shocked to see some reluctancy mm-hmm. to the concept of forgiveness. Um, so, uh, I think some people are scared of the concept of forgiveness and what, what is, what's unfolded for me. And I'm just going to kind of think through a couple things of where I'm at right now in my thinking on this is, um, one, I think it's interesting. If you go on Twitter, I, I discovered this. I don't spend near as much time on Twitter as I used to. I actually like, I closed down my main account. I got a news account. I follow a couple news like and not even political news i got out of that like i was like this stuff is like i don't follow cnn or fox news or any of those i don't like Breitbart. i don't care about any of those this is a bad like i just the more the older i get the less i care about politics mm. i just find it's not important okay. i can see why i mean i think we should realize that only the future kingdom will have all the answers <laughs> not right. not this kingdom well, no matter who we vote for the less I engage in those discussions, the more mm-hmm. I discover there's a lot of there's a lot of issues and a lot of help that needs to be given locally mm-hmm. among people I know. Mm-hmm. And I find there's more work. What do you mean locally? You mean pol- like just people politics. that we know, like people that we see. Oh, gotcha. gotcha. That, that we yeah. talk to and we hang out with and gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because I, you know, even in shedding you know, as a planter, you have a lot of responsibilities in the beginning. And as the more I shed that, the busier I get. And it's because you realize, you know, when you were juggling 25 different 
balls in the air at one point, you're, you're not able to spend a lot of time with all 25 of those, those issues. Mm -hmm. And so when you start dropping, when you start passing off some of those to other people, you, um, you find out that there's more work in each area. And that's kind of what I've discovered as I, as I backed away from Twitter and really caring about what event big Eva and evangelicalism is talking about. Like I found, wow, there's a lot more going on Mm -hmm. here than there is there. And at some level, I'm actually almost ready to say it's actually not wise to be there. Mm -hmm. I'm almost ready to say that because I think it creates in your mind it, the, the temptation is to start to think about life through the grid of those social media conversations. Agreed. And you actually start to look for those demons and those, the bad guys, because you assume that you see it so often on Twitter, you assume that it's, it's in person. And what I've found is the issues that people are going through as human beings that I know that if I saw them on Sunday and could shake their hand that those people are dealing with different issues than Twitter, Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, about the only thing that I think was worth fighting for publicly is freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. And that's because what we do is share the gospel verbally. And I enjoy the fact that that's a protected right in the United States. So that's about the only issue I I feel like fighting for every other issue. I feel like can be fought for at the ground level too. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then fighting for freedom of speech for me is like, still as a back burner to, to the primary work we're called to do. Having said all that, I think forgiveness and living in a reconciled community is a way bigger issue than most people realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. And identity identities that would be up in that top three. Oh yeah. So, you know, um, and forgiveness, whether that be living, living with your spouse, you know, um, and that's everything from couples that everything's going smooth. Oh, everything's great. Well, sure, everything's great, but there's still, you're living with a sinner. Like you're still having to practice forgiveness and reconciliation in your home. You're teaching your kids to do that. You're showing your kids the gospel through that. And there are fractured situations, whether it be at home or work, whether you have a bully boss or you have um, a bully spouse, a manipulative spouse, somebody, a spouse who's, who's really, uh, who quote unquote can't get out of a sin like that. Like these things are more common than whatever hashtag issues popular to today on Twitter. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And all those people talking about these hashtag things on Twitter, they may be actually avoiding these issues by talking about them. Mm-hmm. You know, cause again, you can be so distracted by the public conversations that you actually are ignoring the work, mm-hmm. you know? So in your mind, Oh, you know, preparing for a sermon, that's four hours worth of work when in reality you need longer time, but you're avoiding it because you're engaged in these, these conversations that matter and they don't matter. So, and they don't matter because you're not changing people's minds on social media. Yep. So every now and then somebody steps in and be like, oh, I changed my mind on social media. Okay, so you're one in a thousand. But had you been engaged in your local community, you would have probably had somebody there help shape your thinking too. So mm. all the same. So I think forgiveness and living in a reconciled community is a bigger deal than what we're, than probably people realize. And I'm realizing that um, there's a lot of people that do not pursue reconciliation. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, they don't understand the gospel. Uh, misunderstanding forgiveness is rooted in misunderstanding the gospel. 
Yep. Agreed. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Just like point blank. And there, there are people reluctant to forgive because they're scared of what they think will happen if they do forgive. Right. Okay. This is a huge problem. Um, but I can also get it because if your understanding of forgiveness is sweep it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist, well, then if I come to you and say, well, you need to forgive your spouse or you need to forgive your kid, what you're, what that person's hearing me say is sweep it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. And they're going, but am I supposed to live in this house with this person doing this? Mm-hmm. Like this is hurtful and harmful. And are you telling me to do that? Mm-hmm. And so I understand why they're reluctant because in their mind, you're telling them to just go along as if nothing's wrong. Right. Okay. And that's not forgiveness, by the way. Mm-hmm. I would argue that that's, that's not forgiveness. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Yep. Um, so um, we'll talk more probably about forgiveness. We're definitely talking about it in the men's group, but you have to understand that when, when God forgives us, he gives us the prom, his promises. So he knew no longer withholds the promises of the Holy Spirit um, to be declared righteous, to be set apart, to be in the process of being sanctified mm-hmm. with the promise of eternal life, to know Christ personally, to be considered holy, to be considered Christ's child. Like those are the promises that he gives us. Mm-hmm. Eternal life, a relationship with him, the ability to be in fellowship with Christ and um, know that when we pray to him, he's listening. You know, know that we have that personal relationship with him regardless of our feelings. But what I'm noticing in, in some people's discussion of forgiveness is they're reluctant to even pursue that level of forgiveness because they want to avoid the potential hurt. Mm. And this is the nuance I think I give here and then just kind of say, okay, there's more to give later. This is, so this is just a teaser. This is a teaser. Okay. Yeah. When oh. we forgive somebody, we, we are not saying necessarily that the relationship is going to go back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are saying I'm willing to pursue the relationship to go back to quote unquote normal. Okay. Yeah. And in some cases that's not going to work. Yep. Okay. Because again, it, there's, it's so funny when we talk about forgiveness, 99.9% of the time, what we're talking about is, is a relationship with somebody, you know, where you said something wrong and you need to go and confess it and ask forgiveness or you, or you did something small and minor. Do you have a working definition for, for people? Uh, I do. I, gave I say it. working because, you know, I know it's going to, it's going to require nuance as you go along here. Yeah. Like I, I have one too. That's just like, I keep looking at it. I'm like, ah, I feel like it needs more or less or something. <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, so I think, uh, I, there's actually a couple definitions that I've read that I like. Okay. Um, forgiveness, a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability. Okay. Um, and to be reconciled to that person, though not all consequences are necessarily eliminated. Mm-hmm. And I think I agreed with that one. Um, and I, what I, what I liked about that one is that it acknowledges that it's a commitment by the offended person to pardon graciously the person that's coming to them and confessing. So I think, again, forgiveness is a verb and a noun. It's a transaction between two people, but it's also a commitment by both people. 
I think the commitment part is like how you treat them, right? Yes. Yeah, because yes. I think that's a difference. Like, there's a difference between a person, um, you know, who maybe even says they granted forgiveness, but they treat them, um, you know, like an enemy, I guess. Yeah. Um, doesn't, yeah. Yeah. But, and it's interesting because even in that, are, am I justified to treat somebody like an enemy because that person sinned against me? And so, right. Okay, so I'm um, again like now that's that becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. Am I justified to lord it over somebody to enact revenge? Am I justified to want harm for somebody because of his or her sin? And the answer is I'm actually not. Mm-hmm. Whether I forgive or not, I am there is nowhere in scripture that validates that. Right. And and a simple reading of the Sermon on the Mount will actually show that I'm actually supposed to want what's best for even my enemies. I'm supposed to want them to be reconciled. And I'm actually supposed to remember that I'm just like them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the problem. So another definition of forgiveness real quick is to forgive is to first name the trespass truthfully as wrong and punishable rather than merely excusing it. That's helpful too because there's, there's layers to that. Yes. So someone out of anger breaks your window. Yep. There's two layers there. Yes. They they were angry at you. Yep. Um in a way that was sinful. Yep. And then they took that anger to the next step and broke your window. Yes. So there's two things there. How do yes. you address that? Yeah, so if that person comes to me and says, "Will you please forgive me for breaking your window and will you please forgive me for being angry with you?" The answer is yes, of course. Mhm. Um now um as I do that, I'm actually identifying with the fellow sinner as a perpetrator as well. Right. And I think that that honestly is a huge part of forgiveness that is that is being forgotten. Perpetrator of what though? What sin? Is I myself am also a perpetrator okay. against God. Okay, so we're sinners. Yes. Okay. And I think that's where, where Galatians six one comes in, right? Um where, hey, be careful lest you two fall. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's that's the reality, right? That like you're like one broken sinner is coming to another broken sinner, and pride. When once pride gets in the way, humility, um, forgiveness is super difficult. Yep. Because at this point, you once I once I take the you owe me, who now now we're, now we are creating big problems in forgiveness mm-hmm. because it, I actually don't have a right to do that to begin with. Like I'm supposed to love you and want what's best for you no matter what. So um, the person comes and truthfully says, hey, you know, I was angry with you, so I broke your window. Okay, I forgive you. In other words, I'm not going to let that, I'm not going to let your anger define you to me. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to hold that anger over your head. I'm going to absorb, I'm going to absorb it at some level. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to bring it back up against you. I'm not going to be committed to lording over you, right? And again, I don't have a right to do that to begin with, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. I am I am committing myself to actually want what's best for you. Yeah. So um, then I'm also aiming to, to be reconciled with you, and I'm saying to you, I'm not going to end our friendship because you got angry and broke my window. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of the simple, simple version. Right. Now, the reality is if you came into my house every time, let's say every time you came into my house, um, let's say I left my wallet 
you know, by my coffee pot. And for some reason I had this thing called cash in my wallet. Yeah. And every time you left, I noticed the cash was gone. And at some point I'm like, man, I think, I think, man, this is like weird, but this is 35 times this has happened. Hey, you know, um, every time you come over, this cash goes missing from my, my wallet. I don't think you're doing it. And you're like, oh no, I've been taking 20 bucks from you every time. Will you please forgive me? Well, the answer is yes, I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to let this affect our relationship. But that doesn't mean I have to trust you, right? So the next time you come over, you may notice my wallet's put up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right? forgiven, Yes, but not necessarily trusted. Yes, and I think that's, that's a very important nuance in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That just because I forgive you doesn't mean that our trust has been restored. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm choosing to no longer bring it up against you. I'm choosing to not let that one act define you. I'm choosing to pursue reconciliation with you. However, there may be a sense in which you're going to have to earn that trust back. Right. And I think this would start to help a lot of couples when you start to realize, okay, one spouse has a reoccurring sin pattern. The other, the other spouse has forgiveness. Now, I'm noticing that some people are like, well, for, before you forgive them, you test to make sure the fruits are real. Ooh, you can't do that. Because Luke 17, what if seven times in one day? And Jesus says, you forgive them seven times in one day. Well, you don't have time there, right? On three, four, five, and six, by, by seven, you've not seen any fruit. But mm-hmm. there's some kind of acknowledgement of sin and the pursuing of, of, of wanting forgiveness from you. Mm-hmm. So it's fair in that situation to say, hey, look, excuse me, I'm going to forgive you. But I also noticed that you have a problem with this. I now actually want to help you solve this problem. So how do I help you solve this problem? Well, we're not throwing forgiveness out the window because I'm not bringing the problem up to you to lord it over you. I'm not bringing the problem up to you to try to like prevent right now. I'm saying, okay, God, you've put me in this situation. This is the spouse you gave me. So now the spouse you gave me, I'm going to work with this spouse. And be there as somebody who lives in a reconciled life with this individual. Right. And I think that's fair. And yeah, I think that's an important nuance. Yes. So you're you're basically so it's almost it's the aspect of like address addressing the actual issues. Like you're not just so the the, the forgiveness is granted, repentance is there, but now let's solve the issues because they're real issues. Yes. Yeah, and I think, so if your view of forgiveness is just sweeping under the rug, mm-hmm. well, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. If the only reason you're forgiving is for you to feel better, then that's then that's not Christian love and reconciliation. So that's what makes this discussion so hard, is at some point we have to bring in the cross, right? You've, yeah, and you have to bring the cross in early, because the cross sets up the entire paradigm by which we think about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to bring up humility, and you have to bring up love. Because if you if you exclude humility and love, you're going to find that pride's coming in, and you're not going to love other people, and that's gonna that's gonna torture, and prevent true forgiveness. Um, and it also this definition also works for extreme cases, and here's how: because now somebody comes to me and says, "Well, that guy raped me," and the guy comes and says, "Yes, I sinned against God, and I sinned against her." and I raped her, and I want her to forgive me. Will you please forgive me? The answer is yes, 
you can be forgiven. However, because of the violation, it may not be wise to seek to live out as friends in a reconciled way. Mm-hmm. And I would actually argue that it might be unloving um, to prevent the guy from going to jail for it. Right. Because at some level, justice needs to be paid even on earth. Well, it's also unloving to for, for the victim, right? Yes. The true victim because like, there's real hurt and pain there. And to force her to be in the same kind of the same kind of relationship right um right. previously that was a trust a trusted relationship it is also unloving for that victim yes yes yeah i mean yeah and i mean it gets hard ideally and this is where chris braun's book is helpful ideally that can be overcome to where there is some kind of reconciled friendship Right. But Chris Braun brings up an excellent point that sometimes that's not going to happen on earth. It's going to happen at the banquet table. Amen. Yeah. And so, right. We're, we're not, you know, um, yeah. All that say, um, one person wrote forgiveness is a promise not to keep bringing the matter up to the person, to others, or even to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where forgiveness is a process. And so there's also, I mean, this is layered because there's also, because it's a transgression, um, because of the transaction, I need to be willing to forgive internally, even if maybe before we actually sit down and go through the process. Mm-hmm. So internally, Lord, um, and this is not based on a feeling. If we wait to feel right, we'll never forgive. So honestly, feelings often come after forgiveness. So, okay, Lord, I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to start praying and I want what's best for that person. And that, that's where it gets hard. Um, so, uh, yeah, because you want people, right, the way we understand God's will is um, I actually want what's best for every human being and what's best is for them to be in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I think the feelings part, that's where the cross comes in. Yes. Because if you don't meditate on on how, you know, how Christ took, our, our, our sins on the cross and how innocent he was and he was a true victim right um it, it's very difficult to overcome those feelings it is unless you realize that you've been forgiven much yes and you can and you feel the weight of that forgiveness it's very difficult to to um uh, to dispense forgiveness in that same way you, you have to meditate on it deeply i think in order for you to grant forgiveness in the same way and that's why that's why it's always like it's always like the cross is so central in this discussion. Yes. Yeah. And that but that's even Jesus' point in Luke seven forty seven. Mm-hmm. Right? This this um this probably prostitute is so grieved by her sin that she loves much. Mm-hmm. Whereas these these other Pharisees and religious leaders, they love little. Why? Because in their mind they're good. They yeah. don't they don't need a savior. They, yeah. Man, psh, well, who's this Jesus guy? I love what one author said. He says, if a person is repentant, you should restore the relationship as much as possible. And I think that as much as possible is a very important nuance. Um, why it would say as much as possible. If the person has done grievous wrong, it may mean the trust can be restored only by degrees. Right. And this is helpful, right? Because if you're dealing with a drug addict who's repentant, um, one of the problems with drug addicts is they're liars first. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's fair Right. 
um, sometimes their repentance is one of self-pity, and it's not true repentance. It's one of their self-pity because of the consequences of their actions. They don't actually view what they did as sinful against God and sinful against human beings. So they're just looking to get out of the consequences and get back to what they want to. So if they're true, if he or she's truly repentant, there's an acknowledgement of sin against the Lord and a, for, and a desire to forsake that, even if they're physically addicted to the substance or mentally addicted to the substance. They're then saying, okay, Lord, I want to forsake this. I need help forsaking this. And I want to pursue repentance and what it means to walk in a way to where this isn't this. Where, where my life is not marked by an addiction to drugs, but instead by worshiping the Lord and honoring you. So at that point, right, you, you might say to a spouse or to a family member, hey, okay, we, we have some early signs of repentance, but that doesn't mean you have to full-on trust them. Mm-hmm. And it is fair to say, hey, these are some serious steps that, that forsaking and adopting is going to take. Now, again, I would say to that, to the parent or to the, to the friend or to, or to the, the spouse or the family member, is it possible that in this repentance process, this drug addict is going to fall and relapse? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, my husband's addicted to porn and he, he repented. Oh, I caught him two weeks later. Well, yes, it's, it's going to be a process and you're going to have to work through that process. Um, but on the flip side, if there's, if there's a continual work going on it, then, then we want to, we want to be a part of that slowly regaining the trust. This author adds one more thing. If the person is continuing in a hostile manner, you must not make it easy for them to sin against you. Um, and I and there are other things. If the person has a former love interest, then to recreate the same relationship may be inappropriate. The speed and degree of this restoration entails the recreation of trust, and that takes time depending on the nature and severity of the offense involved. Part of real repentance usually means the wrongdoer asking, what could I do to make you trust me? Right. And so, again, because part of real forgiveness means being open to the possibility of changing the offender and truly unbiased and willing to offer more trust little by little. And so there's right. If I'm truly repentant, okay, I have been unloving towards you. I now want to learn what it means to love you. So the the porn addict spouse is being unloving towards the non to the other spouse. Well, now you've got to learn what it means to love your spouse Right. So that, that's where that's a process. It's going to take time, mm-hmm. you know, depending on, depending on how, right. There's so many variables in that. And so to me, very helpful to realize that granting forgiveness doesn't mean that we sweep justice under the rug. In fact, sometimes it means we hold the person accountable mm-hmm. to the earthly justice Yeah, because we're now, Hey, you are in a position this, and I have to tell other people because I do not want you to use your power and authority to now go, um, to put other people as victims to you as well. Yeah, I think you know. Let's just say that the the person, the two people who got in a fight, or and the guy that you know broke a window was angry. You know, I, I don't have a problem. Um, it, it, you know, using pastoral authority to say, look, part of your repentance is, no matter how long that how, how long it takes, part of your repentance should be to you know, pay that window. Yes. Yeah. Even if it's a dollar a week or something yeah. and that's all you can afford. Yeah. Like you need a, you need a, you know, you need to provide restitution because mm-hmm. if you know, this is part of what repentance looks like. Yeah. On the other hand, the other person also has absorbed the cost and realizes that, Hey, even if he doesn't 
end up paying this window, he's still forgiven. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, if you're talking about two poor people, right. The one poor person may say to the other poor, poor person, Hey, my wife and I talked and we're willing to absorb that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think, I think you're right. I think it's, it's fair to also say, Hey, we can't afford it. Yeah. But you know what? Even if you can just give us a dollar a week. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, yeah. that's what, a, a you know, the right use of government, right? The sword is there yeah. to protect the other person, yeah. the 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 person that was offended or at least unjustly offended, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's kind of my thinking on, of authority right now. It's like it's there to to help, you know, facilitate yes. that kind of uh, th- those those lanes so that people can yes. you know, reconcile. Yeah, I think that's why insurance is there. Mm-hmm. Car insurance. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I don't know. Those are those were kind of three thoughts we had. I don't know what our time is like on this. <laughs> um, the the thing that records actually doesn't tell me the time. It just gives me um, uh, it just gives me beats. It gives me oh. bars. We're probably around an hour or so. Yeah. So um, I think the common denominator in everything we're talking about is still humility and serving. Yes. Um. Uh. But I think there were two other issues that kind of um, we've talked about parenting before. Uh, we've talked about it. Um, it one, it's a really hard topic to talk about because it's hard not to go into case by case. And it's, it's like it, parenting requires so much wisdom Amen. That, that it's hard <laughs> to like sit down and say, Hey, so how about this? Um, one of the issues we want to talk about was, um, consistency in parenting. Mm-hmm. Now, what if we just talked about consistency and leadership? Yeah. And that applies to parenting. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Some of the best leaders I've ever met were consistent. And you knew what you were going to get with them. And if they deviated, it was probably for a good reason. So I think when parent, when it comes to parenting, you know, I, I still don't feel like I'm an expert, but I'm 15 years in dealing with a couple teens now and a non-teen and that creates its own interesting <laughs> issues. Um, but I think if I can say anything, one of the best things that we've done is try to be consistent because our kids kind of know the field. Yeah. You know, they know how to play it they, and they, they know the playground. Yep. Yep. And they do, they know the blind spots of the playground. Um, and the reality is you can't avoid the blind spots of the playground. So if you're listening to this, and you're like, okay, well, we're going to avoid the blind spots. Nope, can't do it. You, you got no shot. Yeah. Yeah. So don't parent to avoid the blind spots. Mm. Parent to lead your kids to Christ and prepare them to leave your home and be an active member in society. Mm-hmm. So parenting, I think what brought this up was um, there's this idea that I need to give good memories to my kids. Oh. And I kind of don't like it. Hmm. Like, are we really saying that richer people are better parents because they can take their kids on better vacations? Right. Really? You ever think about that? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it equates... Okay, I think the the way people frame that is... It could be um, abused, right? Because I think the idea behind it is that the the 
right? It's it's not the expensive vacation. It's like, did you spend time with your kid? Like, yeah. did you talk to them ever? Like, did you like console them when they, you know, it's just the idea. But I think they equate that to this grandiose kind of vision of what a memory looks like, you know? Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be Disneyland or Disney World. Right. It could be, um, you know, you, you were there leading them and they saw that looking back, like, you know, that this is, hey, my parents like, did a good job. You know? Yeah. Um, they're not going to necessarily, like, if you did a horrible job as a parent and you, but you did all the grand vacations, all, all that is tarnished. Yeah. Right. Like a kid doesn't look back and be like, yeah, those are like, I don't know. At least from my, like, from my thinking, I'm like, those great memories um, are, are more tarnished than they seem when like you are a kind of parent who um, wasn't really there. And, you know, it's almost like you're, does that make sense? Cause I'll, yeah, yeah, no, it does. Because like, as you're talking, I'm thinking like, I mean, and maybe this is me. Mm-hmm. Um, I always joke. I'm like a goldfish. I got that five minute memory thing going on. Um, so, but I don't look back on my childhood and even think about the vacations. And yet I know we went on some, mm-hmm. you know, I know we had family outings, but I think I, I think more of the day in day out, right. You know, and the reality is those day in and day outs probably shaped me more than the random vacations. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I remember some of the vacations that we've had, um, but I remember like my mom and dad's sacrifice behind it. You know, not necessarily that we just had fun. Yeah. Um, but they did it, be, you know, they, they there was something about that, that, um, that it was their way of showing love. I, I was looking back. Um, but I also remember specifically all the lessons I've learned from my parents, more importantly, like the yeah. character of my mom. Yeah. Like the character, the hard work ethic of my dad. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, I felt like those are, um, those memories are much more ingrained. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, yeah, like my dad was super loyal. Uh, sometimes probably I was probably be even critical. And now looking back, you go, oh, that's a that's a good characteristic. Mm-hmm. And um, super loyal to his company and um, was willing to endure the bad for the good. And so, yeah, you're right. There, those Those, so to me, it's like, you know, what is the goal of parenting? And if I say it's for my kids to be saved, I think that is a desire. Mm. And one of my responsibilities is to evangelize my kids. However, I also think that it's to prepare them for life. Right. Because they may not get saved, but they can't stay here forever. Yeah. Yeah. At some point they got to get out. They got to go work. And believe it or not, that's actually a testimony. Yes, because if your kids leave a Christian home and they're all like they have no skills, no like anything, they're like, "What? That that, that those were Christian parents? Like, what did you do? Yeah. Like you you and you were homeschooled. I thought homeschool was supposed to be great. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, no, you leave them. They leave the house ready, at least with uh, the ability to think through problems and problem solving and critical thinking and um. And, you know, at least they remember, they know what Christ like this looks like because they've seen it in their parents, even yep. if they don't receive Christ as Lord. Um, you pray that the Lord will use that character to remind them, you know, in a hard time, like, man, my parents, they, they never had, they always looked to God and you just don't know how the Lord uses that. Yeah. But at least they walk out prepared for life and they walk out understanding that my parents love the Lord. Yeah. You know, and it's, Reading that uh, Churchill biography, uh, Churchill was shipped off to uh, uh, boarding school, basically. 
really doesn't have a relationship with his dad, really doesn't have a relationship with his mom. So from a psychological standpoint, Churchill should not exist, Mm -hmm. right? Because he has not been shaped in the proper environment to make him be great. Um, The more I understand World War II, you know, I'm in my 30s, somewhere in your 30s, somebody said that when you, when you, at some point, a middle-aged man starts reading about World War II Mm -hmm. and smoking meat. So (laughs) there it is. But Churchill, um, you know, by by all for all psychological reasons, should not be a great man, and I would argue probably the greatest leader in the World War II generation, mm-hmm. um, po- political leader, and I would put Patton as the greatest general in that that era. But all that to say that, like, the interesting part is in Churchill's communication with his parents because he's writing letters like every day to him. Oh wow. Yeah, they, and this it, weird. it's sad <laughs> because mom does not respond every day. Oh, okay. So, and and there are times where, yeah, it's it's kind of sad. But what's interesting is their expectations for him are known, and he does know their expectations. So he, they the, the the bad parents had expectations for him. Yes, still. Okay. and they're still they're they're they are influential to him, mm-hmm. and he is held accountable to them. Interesting. So it's interesting that even though they're not great parents, and from what I can tell, they really didn't. The mom definitely did not care, mm-hmm. from what I can tell. Now, Manchester could be wrong, so I'm going to withhold judgment, try to be gracious in that. The dad had problems with Churchill, but later kind of seemed to maybe, when Churchill got into infantry school, the dad kind of changed his tune a little bit. So almost like Churchill finally won him over a little bit. Winston okay, like he okay. became a man or something. Yes, okay. yes, yes. And so the the maid or the 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 nanny is actually the most influential person. So, but all this to say that church that that even in those parents, they raised Churchill with the understanding that he needed to be prepared to be a man. Oh. So I think that's interesting, right? That that even these unbeliever parents show some marks of good parenting even though there's a lot of bad parenting when this all, by the way, this all fits into Ezekiel 18. If you've Mm -hmm. never, every parent should go read Ezekiel 18. And the point of Ezekiel 18 is not that it doesn't matter what you do. So do whatever you want. The point is to realize that you, you can't make your kids what you want them to be. And God's still sovereign over the salvation of people. Uh, And God will hold the the guilty culpable, but he also desires to see his kids saved. So it's, you know, the reality is both. But all that to say, I think in parenting, right, you've got to have that goal of I want my kids to be saved, but I also want them prepared. Now that means my job is, like you just said, to help them think critically, to help them start to navigate the issues of life, to help them start to think about how do you manage this? How do you get through this? What, are, what, what How are you spending your time? What are you, you know, and to put those expectations there, you know, and we've talked about this in our, in two different podcasts on expectations, right? So on the one hand, I'm going to be gracious to him knowing that my 13 year old is not able to operate like a 15 year old. But on the other hand, I am going to continue to teach and lead my kids in such a way to where they've got to grow into these responsibilities of adulthood. And I think consistency, uh, when it comes to parenting, if I could say having the right goal, right, that I'm here to help my kids be shaped into an adult, Mm -hmm is one. Number two, be as consistent as humanly possible. Yeah. I actually think inconsistency is child abuse. Mm. Like if the rules change every day, it's frustrating. 
Yeah. But if in general, and if you got to make a change, that's fine. You go to your kids and say, Hey kids, mom and dad have learned that, that this way that we've operated in the house has been wrong. So we are going to change. Yeah. So I was going to say consistency and humility is important, right? Yes. Yeah. In parenting. So you have to be able to make changes when needed yep. and have the humility to say, this, hey, this is what, why we're changing it. We've thought wrongly about this and we need to change our thinking. So we're going to do it this way now. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think, think so. That, that takes humility to do that. Yeah. Cause you're, cause that, that's the thing too, right? Like, but dad, it's not fair that he does this. Well, you know what? Um, I understand that frustration. What your mom and I learned is what, when you were that age, we, we didn't understand it the way we do today. And now we realize that's actually not that big of a deal. So right. we're, we're relaxing because we realized that's not as important a variable as we thought it was yeah. back when you were that age. Yep. That's good. You know, and sometimes I use that to my, to my advantage too. That is not fair that he doesn't have as much as I do. And so then I look at my kids and say, you want it equal? Yes, I do. Okay. Then um, I'm going to treat you like you're 10 years old and you can go to bed because it's 830 at night. <laughs> and it's weird to have your older kids looking at you. Mm-hmm. I'll let their listener hear and assume who I'm talking about, you know, because instantly that tune changes. Okay. Maybe I don't want it fair. Right. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't have a bedtime for one of my kids. I don't have a bedtime for my other kid anymore, but he just goes, one of my kids just goes to bed at like 10 o'clock on his own. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. different personalities. Yeah. And I think that that even helps, right? Because you, if you try to, now when I say consistency, there is also part of me that says you have to recognize your kids, different personalities and be consistent to each kid. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are some in general household things that we're consistent about or that we, that Kyle and I'll even sit down and say, Hey, we're going to fight for this one. Like we're, we're going to be consistent. We'll pull the boys aside and say, nope, you don't get to be a jerk to other family members. Like, I don't want to get onto you for every little sinful thing you do. I don't want to be your police officer. But however, you've spent all day being in the grill of one of your brothers. And I am going to point that out. Mm. You get in the grill of the wife. Oh yeah. I'm going to point that out. Yeah. That's helpful. That's helpful because I think we're approaching the ages where it's like, you can see the distinct the distinctness of each personality and the age difference. Yeah. Like, you know, one's approaching the, uh, the older, approaching the teens, not quite yet, but like, you know, there, there, I, I think there needs to be some changes there as he's getting older. And yeah, yeah so it's really helpful. Well, and also like, even in that, how come you don't do that this way with this brother? Well, because you two are different individuals and you both are gifted at different things and wired in different ways. And you are naturally good at this, whereas maybe one of your brothers isn't. That doesn't mean you're smarter than him. It just means you're different. Mm. And so that, like, even understanding that we are all gifted differently with different talents has been helpful because um, Lloyd-Jones said it in that in his article on depression. Uh, he said, you know, yes, you, this what you're doing may be your personality, but, but even if it's not, even if it's a preference issue and it's your personality, it's the way God made you, you still have to learn self-control. And so, right. Like one of my kids said to me, you know, well, dad, I'm just not good at doing this. So I don't want to. And I told him, I said, well, the problem is you have to learn how to communicate. So you can't just use that excuse. You have to learn how to navigate that, that hurdle that exist in your thinking 
and you have to learn how to how to come and address the issues. So you can't just bottle it up and sit on the side and then blow up. You've got to learn. But I, I you know, cause this is the thing, like this is the problem with having dad as a pastor, mm-hmm. right? Well, dad, I don't speak as good as you. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But you, so let's start to teach you how do you come with your concerns to us? Because again, sometimes they have legitimate concerns that we need to listen to that we've not thought about from their perspective. I wish, you know, I wish I had, but I just sometimes don't. So son, come like, let's talk about that. How do you come to me and say dad, I don't know how to articulate this. I'm just thinking through it. Can I, can I just talk openly with you? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Right. And that what that triggers is the listener to realize, Hey, you're not, you know, this is tough for you. Good. Let's, let's talk through it. Let's communicate about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's so helpful. anyway, consistency in parenting, I think, right. Let you, let your rules be your rules every day. Um, keep them consistent. I also think, right. That, that requires you to die on some hills, it requires you to have the conversation with your spouse. What hills are we going to die on in the house? Mm-hmm. Uh, what what hills can we be a little leeway on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's good. Yeah, and then the last one. Oh. Do we want to try to squeeze one more in? Oh, I don't know. So oh, let's you. do it real quick. Okay. Do All right, know. dating. Oh, this is. Oh, okay. Dating. I didn't have this on my list. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, it came up in my thinking as as oh, okay. we as we were talking. I was like, oh. This was one of those things we talked about, though. Yeah, I remember. Dating. Mm -hmm. What must this person be? Yeah. You know what? This this probably requires a long podcast. Okay. However. You have a short answer. I do. Let's just stick with the short answer, and we'll dig in. The the short answer is go to Scripture first. Okay. Yeah. Because what I'm seeing is sometimes if you let experience be your guide— you didn't like something about this person and this new person wasn't like that. So you cling to this new person because of this one issue overlooking the fact that you're not dating a fat person. Right. And you want, you want to date a fat person, faithful, available and teachable. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. What would you say to the youth that they came in? Mr. Gino, what should I look for in a spouse? Wow. Real quick. My mom's here to pick me up two minutes (laughs) real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'd point to them what a churchman would look like, you know, someone who's faithful um, in their responsibilities, and they have to understand that. They have to love the Lord. Um, you know, um, look for what faithful people look like at church. That's what you want to look for in a spouse. Are they serving? Do they love people? Do they, love, do they know the gospel? Do they love the Lord? Like, you know, just what it, is, what it, what it looks like to be a, 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 a churchman is what it looks like to be a good spouse. Yeah. Would you employ the elders to help you make that decision? Um, you mean me as a, like, like me as let's the say, person? Let's say you're the student. Let's oh, say okay, you're gotcha. a young person, you're single yeah. and you got your eye on this girl and you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, yeah. like she seems all, she seems great when I'm around her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yes, absolutely. Because, um, right. Um, what we're talking about is a, um, a really gigantic decision. Yeah. It's not like, and maybe that's the problem. Maybe maybe they don't look at it as something that's a big deal. Um, but, you know, what you're really looking for is a spouse, right? That's why you're dating. You're not just dating for the sake of what? What are you dating for? Yeah. Right? Um, you're, you're, you're looking for a spouse. So um, that's, if not the biggest decision you're going to ever make, right? Probably is. I don't know. I can't yeah. think of what's number two. Um, yeah. You know, other than like, 
you know, following the Lord. <laughs> yeah, pick, be, be smart. Pick a football team or a baseball team that's won some championships because then you know you're not going to, you know at least the organization cares. <laughs> but that's probably below spouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere yeah, below there. Yeah, I think you're uh, right. It's yeah. it's above above sports team. Yeah. I was trying to think of what big decisions do you make in life. Yeah. Yeah. I You know, <laughs> I think spouse, that's, that's uh, you, you want to, gosh, you want to go to the wealth of wisdom wherever yeah. that's okay. And that should be, the elders, leadership, parents, right, um, are all part of that decision. Yeah. Uh, at least guiding you. You want to ask guidance and yeah. how to think. And, and we're not trying to be culty on that either. Right. We're not trying By to play. By the way, the if, if, we, if we need to play matchmaker, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Not, the, I think the percentages are pretty high with, with marriages that have been, ma- uh, that have been uh, so matched. So Kyle and I are actually one for one. Oh, there you go. We, we in general, try not to matchmake, but we are one for one. Oh, there you go. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. In Oklahoma, there's a couple that's married, happily married. Yeah, sixteen plus you know, years. I got, I got to look at my stats. I wonder if I, if I. Yeah, let's not talk my about hand. my marriage stats. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think in people I've married, there are now three divorces. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it happens. It does. Yeah. Uh, but I married. Defense, I married my favorite wife, though. So. You did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It was good. I know. I tell Kyla, you're my favorite wife. I'm your only wife. That doesn't matter. You're still my favorite. Yeah. Come on, Kyla. Out of everyone out there that has the title wife, you're my favorite. Yes. But yeah, so not to be culty. We're not trying to be like, like, hey, we need to control your dating. I just would want the opinion of another godly person. Absolutely. Because in the situation, I'm blinded by feelings and other and other irrational thoughts as much as i don't want to be irrational mm-hmm. so then when i when i can pick the brain of another elder or a godly person and again this is where it's interesting right because okay oh i picked this godly person well sometimes you didn't sometimes you pick the person that you knew would tell you what you want to do so that's why i say go to the elders or a deacon hey I'm, I'm thinking about this person what do you think do you see this person as somebody ready to marry or are there any red flags i need to think about Mm-hmm. You know, are there are there anything that you would say, hey, slow down and investigate? And right. I think that's fair. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because out of a love for you, right, I'm going to, now if you came to me and asked that, I wouldn't want to like spill the beans of the person you're asking me about. But I might say something like, I would hopefully say, oh, they're super involved in the church. They show up to things. You can tell they are committed mm-hmm. to walking with the Lord and understand their responsibility as church. This is the kind of person you want to marry because she is going to love the Lord more than you. And that's what you need. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and if they go to a different church, I would say just go slower because yeah. you need to know that person. Yeah. Much more than you think. Well, that's, you do. that's, that's what's crazy in this environment is how many, how many people do you know that, you know, they don't contemplate this mm-hmm. and they like, if I were dating somebody from another church and I walked into that church and there's a couple churches in this Valley that if I didn't know anything about and I walked in and I was like, you're here. Mm. Yeah. We're going to re we, we may be going to rethink this dating. Yeah. Because you might need to evangelize that person first. Well, that would be my, <laughs> that would be my number one goal. Hey, I just want to go slow in this. Yeah. And could we maybe read these books and talk through these things? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because, it, because at that point, right. It's like, okay. Um, Oh, I, I just want to, I just want a church that makes me feel good on Sundays. And then I go back to my life. Okay. You know what? This is not, mm-hmm. this is not going to be the relationship that God has called me to be. Yep. Yep. And that's what, what I've seen in young people though, is, is response, response, rebound dating. Yeah. You know, okay. I had this bad experience. This person was like this. 
oh, I met this new person who's not like that. Oh, yay, new person. And it's like, yeah, but but look, new person doesn't go to church, says they love the Lord. You know more about Christ than he does. These are all red flags. Because mm-hmm. you're gonna you're saying that you want to submit to this person in marriage and follow the Lord? Mm, I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. Like the people don't change after they get married. Yeah. In yeah. fact, sometimes they get lazier. And so if you do marry for the wrong reasons, like one, God is super duper gracious yep. and can make it work. You know? Um, so it is also fair too. We're not saying that the person's got to be so ideal. Like throughout is everybody's going to have weaknesses and faults and sin. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're not, you know what I mean? But there is, there is sometimes where you're like, Hey, it's just, you want to be, you want to spend your life following the Lord and you're married, you're dating an unbeliever. Yeah. That you, it is going to create problems. Yeah, I, I best all we can do is um, like help them think through it. Yeah. Yeah. Help them look at the blind spots and then help them prepare for, for the decision because you know young people are going to do what they want to do at the end they're going to make that decision and we you know we can't make it for them so that's right okay so that i think that the unifying theme in this entire thing was leadership as a verb yeah because that's what we talked about we talked about the difference between noun and verb volunteerism in the church um, which is leadership as a verb um, forgiveness which is leading Serving a serving a person that maybe has sinned against you or you've sinned against, mm-hmm. um, parenting, which is a title, mm-hmm. so there's a little bit of noun leadership, but also the verb of how do you lead your kids? Right. What what's the end goal? Uh, consistency and then dating, how do you lead somebody that you're maybe thinking about marrying one day? Right, good dude. All right, hey, yeah. that's the title. Of this that's the title. Of this thing, and then um, well, yeah, sex is also related to this because again, think about humility and serving and love and what's best for the other person and then apply it to sex. And you will answer a lot of your own questions just by that. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about it again. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Let's do the in music. Do it. All right. Mm-hmm.